Um, good morning, and a happy first Sunday of Advent. A lot of the things that I'm going to uh, say this morning and read have already actually been said or read. So I think there's a theme going on that probably, um, as Graham and I were discussing earlier, probably Holy Spirit-led. So um, what is Advent anyway? Perhaps, like me, you did not grow up practicing this church tradition. And as has already been said, Advent means arrival or coming. As Christians, we celebrate Christ's arrival in a twofold manner. His past coming as the Lamb of God to take away our sins, and his anticipated coming as conqueror and king to set up his government and reign forever. We look back and we look forward. His past promises and prophecies have come true, so we can know with confidence that his future promises are on the way. Advent helps us remember, and it strengthens our hope. Advent helps us focus. It helps us worship. I recently read the following by Paul Tripp on worship, and here's what he said. You cannot divide people into those who worship and those who don't. The most irreligious person on earth worships because worship is first a human identity before it is a human activity. Everything we do and say is rooted in worship. Every choice or decision flows from worship. Worship is the inescapable occupation of every human being. The question is not if we worship, but what we give our hearts to worship. Our focus on this first Sunday of Advent, as we focus on that theme of worship, is on the shepherds, whom we only read about in Luke's Gospel, and on the Magi, or the Magi, whom we only read about in Matthew's Gospel. As we read these texts, it's helpful to remember that the shepherds and the Magi did not know about this holiday that we now know as Christmas. What they knew were ancient manuscripts, one star, and one choir. We think of colored lights, Christmas trees, wrapped presents, sweet treats, all good things, but they focused on promises, a savior, and a king. So we're going to reread Luke 2, verses 8 through 20, those 12 verses. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. 
But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. We don't know much about these shepherds. It's only Luke, as I said earlier, who writes about them in 12 verses. These may have been the shepherds who took care of raising lambs for the temple sacrifices. We don't know that, but it's a fascinating possibility because here in the verses that we just read, the angels are announcing the arrival of the perfect Lamb of God who would be the final sacrifice for sin, the one whom John the Baptist pointed out to his disciples when he proclaimed, look, there is the Lamb of God. What about the Magi? What do we know about them? And again, we don't know a lot. It's only Matthew who records 12 verses about the Magi, about these wise men. So we're going to read. We won't read all the verses, but we're going to read um, a portion of them. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, and this comes from Matthew 2, during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And they may have been disturbed because Herod was a ruthless king, and he actually murdered his own wife and his own sons. So if his rule was being threatened, it was very likely that people were anticipating and anxious about what he would do with this news. He called a meeting when he heard this. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So who were these wise men? We don't know. How many were there? We don't know. What nationality were they? Where did they come from? What countries? We don't know. However, in your Bible study notes, as in mine, you might read an explanation such as this. Tradition says they were men of high position from Parthia, near the site of ancient Babylonia. They are known, and you might read this, as a caste of wise men, specializing in astronomy, astrology, and natural science. Some scholars say that they were Gentiles. Others say that they could possibly have been Jews. And so we don't know. But here are some thoughtful possibilities you may also see in your Bible study notes. Some have said that these Jews who remained in Babylon after the, were Jews who remained in Babylon after the exile. So the Jews many years earlier had been exiled to Babylon. And some believe that these wise men were um, ancestors of those Jews, or um, predecessors, descendants. descendants, there we go, 
not ancestors, not predecessors, descendants of those Jews, and that they knew the Old Testament predictions because of their Jewish background. Others say that these were Eastern astrologers who studied ancient manuscripts from around the world. And because of the Jewish exile to Babylon, hundreds of years earlier, they would have had copies of the Old Testament in their land. And then others say that these wise men were simply uh, men from different lands who all represented or together represented the entire world bowing before Jesus. All uh, fascinating possibilities. Here's what we do know. We do know that Isaiah uh, was used by God to, um, before, before the Jews were sent to exile into the land of Babylon, Isaiah was used by God to record messages. So Isaiah wrote, and then the Babylonian exile took place, and among those exiles were the young men, the Jewish young men, whom we know as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, these young men had been sent by a culture that was very self-centered and very far from godly morals and values, but they had remained steadfast and retained an unshakable trust in their God. So, could it be that their worship hundreds of years earlier of the one true God, their steadfastness and trust, could that have been a piece of the Magi's story years later? Could the worship of Daniel and his three friends so many years before have been the motivation, the spark, that initiated these wise men pursuing this king of the Jews? We don't know. But what we do know is that the following scriptures, which we're going to read, had already been written. We're going to read first Isaiah 9, verse 6, which reads, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a child that I'd want to go find, too. I'd want to get to know him, to pursue him, to worship him. Then in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9, we continue reading about this child. And in these verses, and in several chapters in Isaiah, he's referred to by God as the servant. And so here's what God said about this child that would be born. Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one, who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. 
He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you, my servant, to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them, and you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Everything I prophesied has come true, and now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future before it happens. This child, this servant of God, upon whom God put his spirit, would be a new Moses who would deliver from the tenacious grip and suffocating darkness of sin. This servant would be a new Joshua who would conquer death and lead his followers into a land of rest. His perfection would replace humanity's strivings. And the end of the story, as we read it in God's word, is really only the beginning. For he tells of a future that awaits, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. As sure as his first arrival is a historical fact, his second arrival is a future guarantee. Revelations 21 and 22 tell us, I saw no temple in it, referring to the new Jerusalem. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And then, as we continue reading in those chapters in Revelations, we're told there will no longer be any curse. Hallelujah. As believers, that's a place to which we look forward, and God's plan is certain. I am reminded as I read those passages in Isaiah, and those are only a few, that the gospel, that God has stamped the gospel all over the pages of the Old Testament. We're going to keep reading a few more verses in Isaiah. Isaiah writes this in uh, chapter 49 of the servant. He says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And then if we keep on reading in that chapter, verse 23 Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. This child, this deliverer, this conqueror was coming for all people and putting hopeful trust in him would and will never lead to shame.
And then in Isaiah 50, verse 10, this servant, we are told, is our hope in darkness. Isaiah 50, verse 10 reads, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, and perhaps, actually I know, there are many walking in darkness, even though they are in darkness of heart. And by that I don't mean they're not in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They are. But sometimes we go through really tough times. And that's who this verse is talking to. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? You're in that spot. You are obeying the Lord. You're in fellowship with Jesus Christ, and yet you feel you're walking in darkness. You don't have answers right now. You feel like you're walking without a ray of light. Trust in the Lord, God says. Rely on your God. This child, this deliverer, this conqueror would become the ultimate servant who chose and who chooses to walk with us in our darkness that he might be our certain, unshakable hope. May I and may we give our hearts this Christmas season to worship him, the Lamb of God whose sacrifice was enough, the gentle healer who walks with us in our dark times, the conqueror whose timing and strategy we can trust, the deliverer whose leading we can be confident in following, the redeemer who in his mercy and grace works on behalf of those who trust him even when we don't see it, and the impartial one who came for all, no matter, and I'm just thinking of these two accounts, the shepherds out in the fields and the magi who were learned academic scholars of their time. And Advent and Christmas reminds us to worship the one who is impartial, who came for all, no matter where we're at in, the, in this social status that humans create, which is wrong. No matter what our career and no matter our ethnicity. Let's end in a, just by praying and worshiping this God and this child and king. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you want to be in relationship with us. Thank you that you understand us individually because you created us. And you understand what we're going through because you walk with us. And this Advent season and this Christmas, may you remind us and may our ears be listening for who you are to us and for the hope that that brings us daily and for the hope 
that we have to look forward to, a new world, a new earth that awaits us where there will be no curse. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.